Welcome to Flow with Flow, a contemporary dance podcast speaking to artists, performers and everybody in between. You can follow me on flow underscore WT underscore flow underscore. You'll find more information there and please message me, get involved, have a chat and I really hope you enjoy the podcast. introduce who we're speaking to no please that'd be really fun what do you mean i have to go today we're speaking to bakani go today we are speaking to bakani thank you for your help you go girl see you later girl okay we're on uh got my new earrings and necklace on this was my retail therapy session two days ago. There are like little plastic hearts and they're definitely the best things I've ever seen. There's the truth. Don't want to lie about it. You know, what's the point? No one likes a liar. Okay. And I've made sure I look a bit nicer today because last time when I did it with Shelly and then obviously she posted that amazing, beautiful clip. Thank you, Shelly. I love you. And I look to state, if I'm honest. And it didn't matter, no one minds, but I did look a state. And I thought, let's put a little bit of effort in today. Let's put a little bit of effort in. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to. Don't want to get anyone too excited. But it is now eleven o'clock. Hello. I think you might have your audio off. How about now? Oh no! Perfect. I can hear you perfectly. Super. Hiya. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Good. I've got my dad set up today, so I'm feeling pretty posh. Got the microphone and everything. I love the bookcase behind you. Thank you. It's quite professional. Yeah, not the usual setup. Aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I promise if you call me at any other time, you'd see my really messy uni bedroom and not be so impressed. (laughs) <laughs> so you're just getting the luxury experience. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Um, Tuesday today, um, yeah. lovely and sunny. So kind of trying to pack in like as much as possible when the weather's good, because um, it will probably rain by like midday. <laughs> so just kind of getting on with admin and all the fun stuff. Lovely. It's so annoying when it's a beautiful day and then it starts hailing halfway through. Yeah, but it's the price we pay for living in the north, right? <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. That's why I'm kind of happy to be in the south at the moment, just experiencing the sun. Oh, wow. Uh, where, where in the south are you? So I live, I'm at my parents at the moment just for the rest of Easter. And um, we live near Bristol area, countryside, middle of nowhere. Okay. Hence yeah. the Wi-Fi cuts out sometimes. <laughs> Uh, yeah makes sense makes sense. more sheep than people kind of thing yeah I feel like yeah um I mean I, I went to uni in the southwest down in Cornwall so nice. yeah I, yeah I'm used to that kind of rural life kind of yeah I enjoy it actually to be fair I quite enjoy it too I like having a balance though I think there's the best of both worlds yeah no true I think Leeds is a great place for that especially with the Dales and the the Peak mm. Districts uh, all nearby, and then you have obviously Manchester and Leeds uh, in between, and York, of course. So 
there's loads going on. There's so much countryside as well. It's absolutely delightful. So what's your current project? What are you doing at the moment? Oh, my God. Uh, what am I doing at the moment? Running around like a headless chicken, I, I suppose. Um, so, like, for me, uh, I produce all of my work um, just because um, of just the understanding that the work often requires. Um, I feel like I can articulate myself better when I'm writing than I can articulate myself to someone else to then kind of produce that work. Um, and I would say it's, I always find it quite fun and exciting to just be able to uh, come up with a concept for an idea, a project, uh, a work, and then see it through kind of research, see it through uh, conceptualization, and then produce it, and then actually realization. I really enjoy that process. So um, for at the moment, I'm writing my Arts Council bid um, for my next company work. Um, which uh, will hopefully kind of be out at some point in 2024, 2025, who knows? Uh, I'm not really in a rush at the moment, actually, which I think is quite a privileged thing to be able to say. Um, uh, I used to kind of have this sense that, oh, I'm gonna put out a work every year um, or you know, just keep applying for funding and get funding, make work. But actually there's something quite uh, exhausting um, uh, I've found myself having a lot of fatigue and burnout a lot of the time. So I think I'm just allowing enough space between each project. Um, so yeah, at the moment, I'm kind of like researching, exploring um, two projects. The first being uh, Birds of Paradise, um, which would be a new company work. Um, and I've sort of been working on that for quite a few years now. Um, so I think because of how long I've been working on it, I'm again, I'm like, well, it's gone this long without being made. So, you know, what's a few more years, right? Um, uh, and, and then uh, I've got some funding recently um, to take on some R&D um, to uh, extend this project called 93 Interlude, uh, Pilgrimage to an Alternate Dimension. Uh, which is effectively looking at the uh, autonomy of uh, Black dancers, Black people uh, within space um, through the practice of improvisation. So this research particularly kind of connects to my practice in general as an artist, uh, but with the particular focus of understanding how Blackness relates to improvisation and then uh, how that kind of facilitates or is perceived um, through the, the gaze uh, in this particular project, through the white gaze. Um, so yeah, uh, apart from that, yeah, applying for stuff um, and kind of lecturing here, there and everywhere at Northern um, and Leeds Beckett, um, yeah, teaching a lot more, which is fun. That was sort of like a, a COVID, uh, revelation. Um, I think like uh, February 2020, we just premiered a new work. We were actually about to tour, um, a mini tour, uh, a work Theo Plinkard had just made on the company, on my company, uh, a duet, um, which was super exciting. And then we had our premieres and then lockdown happened. Um, and I was like, I'm done. I am not dancing anymore. I give up. It's too stressful. And then uh, everyone moved everything to Zoom. Um, and then I started teaching on Zoom. 
um, and it, it was terrifying because um, I didn't really know what my practice was at that time uh, or have a clear sense of it. Um, and then through lockdown, this kind of improvisational practice uh, facilitation vocabulary thing has kind of come out. So yeah, I'm yeah, doing those three things at the moment and then just taking work um, in other bits and bobs wherever I can to make up my bills. <laughs> It's that's a long amazing. answer to your very straightforward question. No, there's <laughs> nothing better than long answers. I love it. So talking about finding your practice and improvisation, did that inspire the piece? Sorry, what was the piece called about um, Black Dancers improvisation? Uh, 93 uh, Interlude. 93 Interlude. Did that sort of inspire that work or did that work come first? Um, I suppose it's kind of putting just, a title to something that's already been happening. Um, so these things are always like pre-existing. I mean, I mean the the ninety the interlude series is a series of uh, research topics that I've been doing since I was at university. So you know, twenty oh my god, twenty thirteen to twenty sixteen, uh, and then one year at Laban after. Um, so I've kind of just been always researching the same things around the body, around process um, and around perception. Um, and these things uh, feel really important to me because I think that they feel intrinsically tied because if you're going through a process, it seems, you also kind of have to have a sense of awareness, I believe, um, of um, how it could be read, how it could be perceived. and and then from there, you can kind of, for me, I use that as an opportunity, which is why improvisation is so important, to then try and find a way of which we can facilitate this practice consistently enough for it to become uh, a thing of itself. Mm. Um, and so this has just always been an ongoing thing. I mean, I remember when I was at uni, I was you know, doing half eight until 6 p.m., just classes and like modules and then rehearsals in the evenings of going to the library, as I'm sure you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, Northern, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, even with, throughout all of that, I always had time to improvise. I really enjoyed it. You know, back then it was an improvisation, I was calling it freestyling. Um, but you know now it's it's so interesting because I've, I've just done a, a commission for uh, the cat program in Nottingham, um, and you know it, 15 to 18 years old, and I'm just thinking, wow, like these these wonderful wonderful artists are they get to do this, they get to train their bodies and really work on this craft, and it you know always takes me back to when I was at school. You know, rather than, you know, at lunchtime, I would go into the drama studios, put music on and just start dancing. Um, I think there is a very, very old video of me in year 10 or year 11 on YouTube somewhere, uh, dancing to a very lyrical and emotional song in a swimming <laughs> form. I will um, be looking for that. <laughs> oh, it, it's there. It's the only one I keep up. <laughs> um, no, um, and so, like, just going through that you know, that, you know, could effectively be 93 interlude, you know, from year 11, year 10, because it was about um, a sense of realisation, 
a sense of freedom for myself that maybe at the time I didn't really have the experience or yeah the experience to really be like okay the world around me affects how I view myself mm-hmm. it affects how I how I dance how I feel I can dance um, and then I kind of left that sort of thinking and went to uni and you know I kind of it felt like a pause in my personal practice but um, actually at graduation one of my lecturers came up to me you know and he was like well done Bakani for getting through these three years and across those three years you kind of held on to your own thing um, which I was like ah I did ah okay thanks for letting me know (laughs) Um, so like even through that you know I think it's hard to to really point at a time where where this practice has come from or what comes first because I think for me it, it kind of comes out of this sense of what improvisation in the way that I, that I facilitated actually does for me um, and so what it's doing in its evolution now is then you know I made a short film for uh, that was on BBC4 uh, called Spectrum that was about the uh, eclectic representation of uh, black men. Um, And this is a short film, of course, but actually it derives from this sense of uh, autonomy, the the requirement and the right to exist as an individual, um, the right to a dignified life. Um, And kind of, I did media studies at at, uh, college as well. So I think I'm always lending myself to this kind of cynical, but what's the underlying issue really? What's this representation telling me? Um, And yeah, so I think that kind of sense of always figuring out the the layers and the context stems from this improvisational practice. And then in order for me to, uh, and then in facilitating this practice, I suppose, I'm undoing my understanding of uh, in forced representation where can we watch this short film uh i believe it's on bbc iplayer still cool um, amazing and yeah they still have the rights to that fabulous that's that sounds like a very powerful powerful message um yeah yeah i mean i i think there's this kind of conversation that we're always having around race which is really important and I don't want my work to be about race. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's something that's really uh, important to me because then what happens is that you become a spokesperson for this particular subject. Um, and I don't want to be a spokesperson about race because, you know, at the end of the day, for me, the most important thing is about existing. It's about, you know, perception of uh, me as a human being and I think the connotations of race will always be there but also uh, I believe that my interests lie within uh, intellect uh, surrounding abstract philosophies, uh, mental well-being um, and ways of being, personhood, notions of self Um, and I suppose this can tie into race but the lens of which feels really important to me is also acknowledging that it's really important to support uh, Black artists in the work that they want to make, that we want to make in our ways of being 
and not just um, something that is palatable uh, to the white gaze as being uh, adequate in representation of race, um, which is a big issue. So, you know, even with this 93 interlude project that I'm doing, I think a part of me is also really cautious and wary of the fact that some um, strands of funding will give it funding or more likely to fund it because they think that talking about race is a really important thing at this moment in time, which it is, and it always has been, it always will be. However, I also think that there has to be a checkpoint of which people are like, okay, how do we kind of keep pushing this narrative of supporting Black artists without kind of drawing race into this issue? Um, because we are not just, you know, the race, you know, who we sensitive, emotional, funny, angry, terrible, you know, joyful people, you know, complex like everyone else. And so our work has to reflect that. And so that's kind of like a, a bit of an interesting standpoint that I've found myself at at this moment in time. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, would you would you describe it as slightly like um people give funding in for pieces that talk about race for performative reasons rather than for true representation? Oh gosh, uh, yeah, how long do you have now? <laughs> um, so um, part of some of the roles that I've had over the years have been yeah. um, as a curator, as a producer mm-hmm. um, and as a programmer. Um, and I've set amongst quite, not intentionally, but quite a few panels over the last few years just because of the nature of the experiences I've had in my early career um, and I don't think it's just race actually um, I think I've, you know I, I've sat through panels and we've just like selected artists so we've been working through something and you know we've you know I remember I'm trying to figure out how I can say this without like exposing anyone but like I remember I was in a panel once and we selected like a couple of black female artists uh, a couple of white female artists and then uh two mm, white male artists these numbers are slightly paraphrased um and effectively the point is the the black female artists we we had on on the program we realized once we'd made the short list that they were making work around blackness. It was incredible work. Um, and then the, the white uh, women that were making the, the work, they were making work about uh, feminist movement. And then the white male artist that was making work was making it about a, uh, oh, it's quite a niche thing. So I'm trying to it's find a topic where it won't be like this person. Um, and the white male artist, would, for, for just an example's sake, was making work and just being playful and having fun. Um, and we kind of recognized that in our bid to be more inclusive and have more diversity, we're actually ending up being drawn more towards the explicit representation um, rather than actually recognizing that um, you can program a black artist and it'd be valid without that artist having to make work about blackness um, because then it should really be that funders and programmers are responding to the requirements of the artists 
not the other way around. Um, and I think this is reflected through Arts Council um, and various other funding bodies where the criteria is set and then your project has to match the criteria. Um, and, and I think even in doing this, there is still an effort to kind of recognize the needs of the artist, but I think sometimes there is, there can be a mismatch within that. Um, so I think, yeah, there, there is definitely a sense of tokenism that is happening across the sector. Um, and my biggest concern around that, and the first question I always ask when I see a call out for looking for a black male dancer, looking for a trans artist, um, that kind of thing, it's like, that's, a, that's great, but it's really important for you as someone who's employing people or who's creating these opportunities to also highlight and include some form of safeguarding um, for the people that you're trying to work with. How can you reassure me as a Black artist coming to work in your organization that um, I'm not going to be a victim within that uh, uh, environment, that my race isn't going to become this hyper-visible thing just because you want to get your diversity quota up? Um, and these are constant conversations that I'm having all the time. Um, and I think there are some people who are very receptive of this. Uh, of this notion that, you know, working class people, trans people, black people, disabled artists, et cetera, et cetera, um, can make and do make work that exists within the parameters of their lived experiences. And that's equally as important and programming and funding has to take this into account. Yeah, that's... <clears throat> That's really interesting and it's a conversation that I don't see happening that much. Sort of the difference between inclusivity and tokens, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's um there's a a group within Northern called POGM, People of Global Majority. Mm -hmm. And it's meetings that we go to, like a group of us, and talk about how to um work within the dance industry on inclusivity and stopping that being necessary tokens and obviously I'm white so a lot of it for me is just like sitting listening learning is more mm. of a space for um black artists to speak um and other people to listen so but I we have had that conversation and it's also spoken about in training how do you make sure there's more representation because obviously there's not a huge amount yeah, I mean, I definitely think that all all of the kind of there's a there's a huge intersection, right? Um, uh, intersectionality within um, representation, who is in space and who isn't in space. Um, so even for me, in those moments where I recognise that I'm on a panel, or I'm in a room, I'm a guest artist in said environment. Um, I also recognize who's not there every time I'm there. You know, how many uh, black disabled artists do I see in these spaces and in these organizations that I go into? Um, how many disabled artists in general do we see in the dance uh, world um, that is truly reflective of an industry that is kind of moving forward with change in a kind of, uh, I want to say expeditiously, but I know that's not a word, uh, I think. Um, 
It's okay. We make, we up, make words up words on this podcast. Um, my uh, yeah. year 11 yeah. English teacher would be absolutely furious. <laughs> like, we've had this <laughs> conversation, Bacardi. And I'm like, and I'll tell you now. No <laughs> like more. I told you before, Shakespeare <laughs> can do it. Anyone can. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's always important to recognize who's in the room and who's not in the room, um, even when it feels like the room is being uh, diverse. Um, diversely represented or whatever that means but it's inclusive Um, but even in that I also think it's important to not just have people in the room for aesthetic purposes just so it looks like okay we've really made an effort here because that's an issue Um, so recently I curated a festival called Encounters uh, at Yorkshire Dance Um, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying this Um, But I think it was probably one of the slowest programming um, processes that they've ever had and will ever have in the history of Yorkshire Dance. Um, But, you know, I think it worked. I I, I feel like it worked. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, as frustrating as it might have been for uh, some of the people at Yorkshire Dance in general, just because of the way that you want it meet deadlines and, and do all of these things and get it out really early. Um, I found myself kind of really taking time to think through every single artist that was invited to be on this program. And I wanted it to really emphasize the fact that people are people and I'm not going to be like, oh, we need more black artists in this uh, program just for the sake of it. Because I know if someone, if I, if someone included me in a program for the sake of diversity, it would undo so much of my self-esteem. It would do undo so much of my self-worth as an artist and as a human being that, you know, my intellect and my creativity is something that is so precious to me. And to feel like I can't get through the door unless it's about this particular thing or unless it makes other people feel and look good, then, you know, it starts to create this imposter syndrome of like, is my work even good? Am I even an artist, you know? Um, And so I really wanted to allow this program to be articulated in a way where people were cared for and considered through that. And it wasn't done in a tokenistic way at all. So we had a a talk panel, which was um, queerness and performativity, uh, queerness and disability, and uh, queerness and the diaspora. And particularly with queerness and performativity and queerness and disability, I actually invited two artists, one, disabled artist and one uh, trans artist to curate the panel talk themselves so that the conversation was had from the perspective of the people whose lived experiences are informed by these uh, attributes that are personal to them. Um, And that way it wasn't me being like, right, we need to talk about queerness and disability. Who do I know that's queer and disabled and an artist? You know, that, that felt really, really wrong to me. So obviously there was a much slower process in kind of extending this responsibility to other people. Um, 
And then, but actually through this, it meant that the conversations around queerness and disability and queerness and trans uh, performativity were done from the perspective uh, of people who it matters the most to, who have the, not matters the most to, but who have the most clearest expertise within that area. And then they invited people on the panel that they're genuinely curious about and invested in having conversations around this particular topic surrounding queerness and other intersectionalities. Um, yeah. What a nice way to go about it, finding people to pick other people's. Yeah, it feels a lot nicer. I mean, what a horrible thing to do to pick someone purely based off their skin color instead of all other phenomenal things about them or you know any you know like I think it's looked past how uh, diminishing that could be yeah um so I think yeah yeah and I think the way you went about it is very interesting it's very it's very good to hear especially like obviously I'm a young artist it's hard to know how to go about these things so like the idea of hiring someone else that has more expertise in it to look into what they're truly interested in instead of like you said just going this person's queer or this person's that I'll just hire them mm. like which again gives a sense of like am I really here because of my artistry or am I here for representation um yeah yeah I think it's a yeah yeah sorry I, I think it's like so <laughs> a bit personal but like um, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I like experienced a, a bereavement in my family and uh, which was the beginning of this birds of paradise kind of process. Um, and in, in kind of figuring out how to cope with the kind of grief and the kind of death anxiety that kind of comes along with that, um, I started going to therapy, which is something I've wanted to do for a very long time, um, mm. because you know I just wanted to to sit there and be like, well, this is a nice couch, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, no, um, and through that process, I think I started recognizing that that sometimes there is this anxiety, this fear of um, being enough, right? Um, and something that my kind of therapist, good old Chris, um, has kind of always reiterated to me in, in moments where I'm talking about uh, anxiety and lack of fulfillment and, you know, all the other existential crisis that comes with A, being a person, B, being a person that's an artist, um, is always like, it shocked me really. And so it's like this thing reiterated, which is that you're enough. Like, if you woke up and all you did was go downstairs, make coffee, make some toast and go back to bed until the next day, and that's all you did on your Monday, that doesn't diminish your value as a human being. Um, that doesn't take away from anything about you. Um, and so I started really recognizing this sense of a need to be like, I did that you know, to validate myself as an artist, to always be like, uh, I think it's even changed the way I work in the studio, you know, this pressure to, to make rap and then teach it to other people 
um, as, as you know, in the traditional choreographic sense. But actually, I'm I'm very happy to, you know, to sit there and take more of a director role um, through scores and improvisation and tasks and kind of molding that into a piece rather than making material myself and then kind of taking a position within that to be able to say I didn't make this movement they did and recognizing that that doesn't make me any less of a choreographer um, and so in this process of really figuring out things that might be triggering to loss of value and sense of self I really thought about actually the best way to work is through community. The best way to work is through this sense of, uh, not sense of, but this togetherness. And it's okay to be like, I am not an expert in this. It doesn't mean that I, you know, I know any less than I already know now or that I, my, uh, uh, my sense of choreography is, is, is not valuable. It just means that actually it's, it's better to recognize that someone knows more than you, that someone might be able to do something better than you are, are able to do. And in doing so, it means that through, we have a very wonderful organic biodiversity of, you know, of decision-making, of collaboration. And that is inclusivity, that is diversity. You know, having different people with different lived experiences, being able to contribute to this singular thing. That's something that is a process that I'm really in, deeply invested in at the moment. So, you know, I've been writing my art council application for a very long time now. Um, it's, it's gone over a year. It's actually disgraceful. Um, but, you know, within this, I'm thinking about uh, uh, do we have a counsellor, you know, that comes in once a week and kind of just does feedback and evaluation to see where we're all at, what we're doing. Can I work with a research and archive artist, a publisher, um, a dramaturge? Like, who are the experts in these very various fields of of, um, of creativity and of knowledge that really could lend a hand to this project, this Birds of Paradise project, in a way that I never could on my own? Um, and again, it's this sense of being able to just recognize that someone else will do a better job at this than I will. So let me just focus on the thing that I can do. And, you know, with encounters in particular, my expertise is not queerness and disability. It's not queerness and transformativity. Um, but my expertise was in particular within applying care and sensitivity into the curatorial process. And that's what I stuck to and that's what I did. And in doing so, it meant that other people, you know, the whole Yorkshire dance team and the artists involved were able to then do their best work because the space was created for them to be able, and myself to be able to really take time and have process and have a, yeah, a consideration about what it is that we're doing. Yeah, I think it's also very hard to accept that you're not going to be able to do everything when you care about something. Mm. Like you want to, you want to be sort of, oh, I, I'm going to, I don't know, coddle it like a baby. Like I want to be in charge of every bit of it. I need to know what's happening. Maybe I've just got control issues. Though. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but being able to go, I trust this person mm -hmm. 
and maybe they'll make mistakes maybe they'll do what I something completely different to what I would ever have thought of but I can but I'm going to trust that they know more than me in this subject and therefore I can let go and let them take control oh my god and yeah. that's okay I mean uh I've kind of so one of the works that we made uh myself uh within my company kind of pickup company uh with another artist mm -hmm. called Darren Payne we made this duet that was going alongside the duet that Dale Klingard made um and we kind of got to a point where we performed it we premiered it at resolutions 2020 and then lockdown happened um and recently I've really been trying to wrap my head around these two works that I did that, that were made um the Theo piece uh we'd like to come back to at another point in time um, it's there, um, but I think it just requires so much additional work and uh, funding. Um, so I've been looking at the other work that we made, which was Strange Clouds. Um, and I've been in the studio with uh, Jacob Phillips uh, yeah. and Jesse um, in first year. Um, yeah. yeah, Jacob and me both trained at Rise oh, together. Okay, wow, yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we're in the same year at North oh Arizona. amazing yeah so yeah I've been working I've worked with uh, Jesse and Jacob in the studio mm -hmm. and in this kind of new role because we'd already made strange clouds so I could have just been like this is mm -hmm. the movement this is what we do but actually you know just yeah. taking the score and giving them autonomy to be like I I've invited you into this space because of the way that you both move individually, like within your own personal practice. Um, and I really wanted to facilitate and hold space where we are able to recreate this piece, this work in a way that also the both artists and both dancers feel that they, they can bring themselves into the space. And I hope they won't mind me sharing this, but one of the conversations that we had was about how difficult it is to just be yourself in, in a dance space. Um, that, you know, and, and we're talking about self, yes, as one notion, but also dance self also is another notion um, that kind of is contextualized by the activity. Um, and this particular practice that I've been working with was looking at how do we go from just a complete absent state to moving and improvising in particular to the score that we've created, which is what the kind of practice is. It's a very particular score, similar to Gaga, I suppose. Um, and this is something that feels really interesting because they have this score and they are themselves. And actually the conversation that we've been having is my role as a choreographer in the space, which is we'll, you know, we'll move for like 10 minutes and then we'll stop and then we'll have a conversation. And it's like, what do you think, Bakani? And then, you know, I was like, ah, okay, yeah, that's a valid thing. But also I really wanted to go into that a little bit further and we started talking about the role that the choreographer plays in space when they observe 
and how at various points in our training or in our artistic practice, it becomes such a, almost a hindrance where you remove a sense of self and replace it with the choreographer's needs um, constantly. And I think this is such an important thing, particularly when you're training, you know, it's like, is this what Merce would have wanted? You know, um, you know, and, and, and I, I went through this process as well in my training of being trying so hard to be, you know, the the best Richard Alston dancer I could be, um, but that was mostly down to my Richard Alston obsession, of course. Um, and in doing so, I started doing less and less of my personal practice. Um, and it's only in the last couple of years where I'm just like, oh my God, my body, it, it moves, it moves on its own, you know, it moves without these rules, these instructions, you know, I don't have to point my feet every time I dance. In fact, I couldn't tell you the last time I pointed my feet, you know, I don't have to, to jump, I don't have to do all these things that were emphasized to me so much. And so how does that apply and how does I change how I work in the studio with like, for example, Jesse and Jacob, like how do we really put autonomy in the center of this process? And then that process in itself links back to the 93 interlude pro project where I'm investigating my own sense of autonomy and then considering the, the sensitivity, the responsibility, the care and the effort, and then going into the studio with other people and then applying these four principles or these four um, things that have kind of popped up during my research and having a conversation around it with other people around what it means to be a dancer, what it means to be a person. And, you know, where does it start to become like the other way around where dancer first, person second? And how do we avoid that? So that, you know, the person is always the priority and uh, people's creativity, people's needs are enough. And so my job as a choreographer as time has moved on, and I think this is also similar to a process that I went through with Theo Klimkard, I must say, uh, when we made recovery mode in 2019, which is being trusted and feeling safe enough to be able to explore, devise, and take ownership of the movement. And I think this is something that genuinely feels really important, particularly when you're training, um, because it can become quite competitive in those environments um, where your thing is maybe not as cool looking as the other person's thing. But I would always argue that within that, none of that really matters at all. Or it helps to believe that it doesn't matter um, because then the thing that I've preserved out of all of that has been my own curiosity and maybe, you know, five, six, seven, eight years after graduating, oh my God, uh, a very long time after graduating, uh, which is seven years now, um, only now am I realizing that what I think, how I move my body matters because I spent so long also trying to do the things that other people were doing and forgot why I got into dance. Why do I dance? You know, this is the question that I'm constantly proposing to people and perhaps to you and, uh, the general podcast listeners, you know, why do you dance? Truly, not the kind of like the I dance because it's fun, but like it's not uh, an answer that requires words, but it's a feeling. So 
when I am dancing, I'm constantly trying these different combinations of movement. And when I move in a certain way, I get this feeling, this release of joy. And that's why I dance. That's why I improvise because no two kind of ways of moving uh, evoke the same emotional pleasure um, or physical pleasure. Um, and so again, this sense of autonomy is really important within dancing and space because it's hard to feel like I can enjoy something if I feel like I'm doing something wrong. And so coming back into the studio, how do I hold and facilitate that space for others? Yeah, there's so much there. And it's so difficult. Like I, um, just my personal experience with it, I've always felt like I had, well, not always, I guess in the last year, I felt like I had that autonomy and sort of confidence in the studio. And then I went to an audition recently and it was just like the most concentrated version of like, uh, what do they want to see? What am I doing? And I just felt like everything that was like personal and meaningful in my movement just went out mm. the window. And I was just sort of moving like, is this what they want? Is that what they want? It's like, and getting myself really worked up. And it's like, it takes away the joy so quickly. Yeah. It's like, just, yeah. I mean, uh, I completely feel you. I, I'm, I'm a choreographer. Let me just say this right now. I'm not a dancer. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm a choreographer. And actually, I was like, so when I was talking about Jesse and Jacob, I was like, oh my God, why am I bringing them into this? And I recognized we were talking about allowing other people, yes, space and autonomy and or creating that, not allowing, but creating and encouraging that. Um, but the, the point I was trying to make is that I take a seat out of that process because they are the experts in that movement. They're the, they're the dancers um, and I trust their ability mm -hmm. to dance more than I trust my own. And, and so like that then coming back to the point you've just made, made me think about what is my practice if it's not to become, you know, a Hoffish dancer or, or Yasmin Vardaman dancer or Tio Kinkart dancer. What is the point of my process? Um, and it, it, you know, I think it's for me, you know, it, it's for me to hold space for myself, for my um, theories around movement you know, what happens if we move with this quality, with this texture? Um, and those things feel quite sacred. And so going into auditions, for example, becomes this ever, ever daunting experience where I've got so used to dancing for fun <laughs> that the idea of dancing for precision and uh, technical uh, efficiency within contemporary dance specifically it becomes like I have to transform and become something else that I'm not and I find that really really challenging and really hard um, and and I think within that then comes like this sense of imposter syndrome um, and I remember my first audition for anything professionally after I graduated was like 2019 I uh, know 2018 and it was for a Tate Britain commission by the ever wonderful Anthea Hamilton. Um, and uh, yeah, she doesn't know this, but I literally walked to, to the Tate um, and I got to the door and I had a bit of a panic. I was like, 
what am I doing here? Like, what is going on? Bearing in mind, I traveled from Nottingham that morning <laughs> to get to the audition. And I get there and I was just like, what is this? This is insanity. Like, I need to leave. Uh, so I got to the door. The receptionist person looked up, looked at me. I looked at them. I freaked out. I walked away. Started walking back to get the tube, to get the train, to come back, to, to go back to Nottingham. And I think I just had a bit of a word with myself on, on the walk back. I was just like, do you know what, Bukhani? Just do it. Get it over and done with. You've come all this way. You've had your prep. Just go in there, do it, and then see what it, you know, what happens. And the audition process was interesting because there were people there who, you know, someone who had been through Central School of Ballet, for example, in the process, um, in this audition. And I just thought, oh my God, I'm not going to get this job. And we started improvising, that was the task. And I just did the thing that was interesting to me, that was valuable to me. And lo and behold, you know, five years later, I'm still working with Anthea, you know? I, I think that is the most wonderful thing that could have happened. Just being like, I'm gonna stand still. I'm gonna lay down. I'm gonna do this. And then Anthea was like, this, is part of this overall vision of the work that I'm trying to make that I think might add something to this, me just being myself. And I think the most wonderful thing that our lecturer, Falmouth uh, said, Kuldeep, um, is that it's amazing being an artist because you're being paid just to be yourself. And I think sometimes it's really hard to be like, it doesn't feel like that. But actually when, it re when you find the right artist, the right moment it really feels like that and I think something that's really really important is to vibe check always vibe check and I know it sounds ridiculous but when you go to an audition you're you know you're auditioning them as much as they're auditioning you and there's nothing wrong in being like I really felt unsafe or I just didn't like the way they were talking to us and doing this you know, and that's why I'm not going to audition for this company. I think it's more valuable to us as artists, as people, to just have these kind of, no, I'm not doing it. I know, obviously, when a cost of living crisis, and sometimes you got to get money where money is. Um, and so, again, speaking from a very small place, but place nonetheless of privilege, of being able to say, no, I'm not going to do this job. Um, but Again, there, there, there comes this other thing of like, if I'm not going to do this job, then what am I going to do? I'm going to do my own thing. What am I interested in? And so that journey is the one that I've been on since, you know, 2013, 10 years now, ongoing. Like, what am I interested in? People moving, connecting. Um, and in doing so, as I've got older, my sense of self has felt more able to come out in a creative process because I feel safe. I feel safe around Anthea, you know? I, I don't have to be like, maybe if we do this and we do that and we, oh, slay, you know? Um, I can just be like, okay, Anthea, this is what I'm thinking. And we'll have a conversation about it. And she'll say, yeah, okay. I, you know, I just realized that part of the thing that makes it so wonderful to work with Anthea is that she treats me as the expert of my thing. And she treats all of us as the experts of our thing. She'll be there as a director, as an outside eye, as a supporter, 
but ultimately if I'm talking about this movement and this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm really invested in she's supporting that because I know that very clearly and I think there's something there about going to an audition and being like oh I'm making myself smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller that sometimes maybe yes it's the audition process but also sometimes it's just the process in itself um, and I think obviously you're in your uh, in your early stages of your career um, as an artist and this you know it will unfold and you'll meet lots of different people and you'll find your people and I think that's the most special thing about this dance world is that you know it's not perfect but it's so wonderful meeting other people and clicking and who understand you um, and I think that's something that requires preservation more than the sense of being a suitable dancer for a certain company because also rep companies are kind of fading very very fast and so it's becoming more about freelancing and projects as I'm sure it's always been but it feels more prevalent now and so you know for me if I'm hosting an audition granted I get funding um, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily and I know it's the same with many other uh, choreographers it's not about the technique it's about you as a person because you know if you as a person is really like this bright shining star we'll make it work you know we'll, we'll make it work gosh everyone's a bright shining star but I mean that if you bring that into the room you know and not make yourself smaller then that's the thing that you'd like you're really drawn to um I don't think that I've ever got a dance job and I apologize to any of my uh previous employers but I don't think I've ever got a dance job because I'm like a technically amazing dancer uh, because first of all I can't even remember choreography so that's you know that's that, that's a very basic criteria um so that I don't meet but it just takes me a long time to just really pick things up uh, which obviously doesn't work in audition processes um so I think it has always just been like not always I've gone to multiple auditions that I just didn't even like get looking in that process but the ones that I've, I feel I've got something out of has been the ones where the project has been around people. You know, it, it's been about you as a human being rather than the idea of a machine, a dancer who can articulate process information at a rapid speed. And so that's just the lane that I went to. But I know that for others like uh, at Northern, for example, um, their preference might be actually no I really want to go through this kind of process of like this is the rep learn it and I want to hit it and I want to get it 100% accurate and it's going to make me feel good and that equally is valid um, but I think there is the sense of being able to recognize the things that matter to you um, and the principles that uh, feel like non-negotiables as they would say in therapy yeah I think there's something to be said for the fear that brings as a young mm. artist, like the idea that you go into an audition and this is the career you want and the idea of not having a stable mm -hmm. thing after you graduate mm -hmm. is scary. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, that's not necessarily um, something their family mm -hmm. love and think is mm -hmm. good, um, which I think brings 
maybe a sense of more fear and there's also I know from my perspective anyway the feeling of like am I exploring my own artistry enough Mm. how do I go into an audition and bring something when I don't know what Mm -hmm. it is it's like um at this point in your training I think a lot of people find that it's like I don't know what my practice Mm -hmm. is so I want to go into an audition and bring something that I I don't know where that Mm -hmm. is and I know it's a feeling rather than a truth or maybe it's a truth because it's a feeling Mm -hmm. but you know what I mean it's like maybe not perceived that way but there's something to be said for trying to go into an audition and feel slightly like you're winging it just be I'm going to be me I don't know Mm. who that is and it feels like that's going to mean I don't have a stable thing after this and like how do you go into an audition and do that without sort of letting fear overtake a little bit and just sort of ending up a bit of an anxious mess in the room yeah. um, I mean I'm probably the last person to answer such you know uh, existential experience because I'm constantly riddled by anxiety you know I, I, I don't audition anymore I I just don't I don't put myself in that situation um, because it requires something from me mentally that I that I'm just not resilient enough to constantly go through. And I think part of that process is coming into dance at such a late stage in my life. Um, And I don't have that thrill or that feel for being on stage. So if you ever see me on stage, um, just be like, hmm, must be a a tough season at the Bikani pickup household. Bakani needs to build a tax bill and he's saying that. Um, no, I, 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 there, there are certain moments where I do enjoy it. And again, like one, one of the characters that I think I would absolutely love to perform for is uh, Seke. Um, you know, I, I, I just love the work Seke makes and uh, he's mentored me in some projects that I've done uh, when I was in Cardiff. Um, I, I, I it, it appeals and it connects to things that make me feel comfortable. Um, improvisation. Uh, I worked with Rachel Cliche recently, and we made this like improvised intergenerational duet together. Um, that feels really relevant to me. That feels like somewhere I can be myself. And so maybe the thing about being yourself in an audition is about who you're auditioning for, because. I don't think I could ever be myself if I went to audition for like Bacheva, for example, you know, and that's not me, that there is nothing that I would bring of value to that company, apart from the fact that it would make my CV look much better. Do you know what I mean? But again, there, there is this sense of really being clear as you're studying, as you're going through this, slightly more comfortable stage before you go out into the world with kind of less support is who are the artists that are making work that you're actually interested in and I use the word actually as in not the artists that kind of are put their names are always in lights you know and the the big companies that have been around for so long but who who's making who's maybe making uh 
dance on on film, for example, that you might be interested in, who's making community work that you might be interested in, or stage work, or mini touring work, or rural touring work. All of these things are, there's so many little nuggets that would allow maybe someone else who's not also under the pressure of being like, okay, hi Flo, we've got this audition coming up uh, and we've got a performance at Sadler's. So, you know, there's huge pressure on us to do this thing. So, you know, that pressure becomes transferred onto you, the audition room, because then they also have to put on a very specific thing. Um, and maybe it's about, oh, actually, yeah, this is not my thing to be on, on, on main stages and big stages but I'm actually got some work coming up with this artist who's going around uh, villages in North Yorkshire and with this wonderful piece that actually I get to, I'm looked after, I feel supported, I feel like myself. Um, and I think that practice comes from a feeling, maybe, for me, it does anyway. Uh, I don't think it's this thing, Sean Watson, <laughs> Um, I, I tried to make it through this without bringing up Sharon, but um, she's so fantastic, you know, such a wonderful person. And, and I feel so privileged that I've got to know her over my last two years that I've moved to Leeds. Um, but I also met her back in 2019 and I introduced myself, you know, back when she was at Phoenix. I was like, oh my God, it's Sharon Watson. I'm going to go say hi. Um, and I was like, hi, I'm an artist. I'm a choreographer. I do all these, you know, these things. Da, 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 da. Um, and she was like, you know, as, as ever, very lovely. Um, and then she was like, so what's your practice? And honestly, my mind just saw a white light <laughs> and white noise. And I was like, uh... <laughs> right okay I was like you know I think I just panicked um and I just started saying words <laughs> um and you know I think this was out of this thing that this practice has to be a solidified thing that I'm like this is my practice but it, I don't think it has to be you know for me at this moment in time my interests are my practice inform my practice I'm very interested in I'm a piano music, which is uh, South African dance house music that was born out of the townships of uh, Soweto. Um, and it, it, alongside that, I'm really interested in filmmaking. I'm interested in somatic practice. I'm interested in Pilates, right? So if you come to my classes at the moment, there's going to be some I'm a piano in there. There's gonna be some Mary J. Blige in there, you know. There's gonna be a Pilates-inspired warm-up, and there's gonna be improv, and that's what my practice is coming out of. And there's a lot around perspective and how things are read, which then informs the way of which we uh, compose the improvisation as we're doing class. And so that's what my practice is. It's not one thing. It's like several other things that are informing this particular lens of specialism which is dance and movement but you know overall it's coming out of everywhere and so maybe for any other trainers and people in training at the moment the the thing is about really leaning into things that you're interested in you know um there's, there's a dancer called Syrian. um I'm not using people's last names because I feel like I don't want to get sued or anything. 
Um, but Serian is like a, a, a trickster um, in terms of like flips and uh, acrobatics, um, but he's also a rapper, a music producer, um, and does like some commercial work as well, and is a contemporary dancer. So within that, when I think of Serian, I think of um, the, this eclectic bit of information that forms this idea of what their practice possibly could be. And it's informed by all of these specialities and all of these interests. And that often is the case for a lot of people. So, you know, whatever you are interested in at the moment, just keep going and don't let that go, I suppose. That's so, I don't know, it's very like nice for me to hear. I think there's a sort of vibe out of dance at the moment where it's like, what are you? You are, especially if you're like on on the interweb, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, are you like this type of person, that type of person? And I've gone through a bit of a process of learning that I'm all type of people mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. okay. And I know, don't need to define myself and that I've, you know, you define yourself in a certain way and then you become that and it's not necessarily healthy and like, it feels the same with dance. It feels like people are, you know, you know what Hoffesh is, you know what Batsheva is, and then it's going like, what am I? Like, why can't I put myself in one of these categories? What is my practice? If I can't define it, that means I'm not good and I'm not recognizable. Mm. And like, I think that's an maybe an unhealthy story we tell ourselves, or maybe I just tell myself, and it's like trying in training to desperately go to the studio every day and go okay well this today oh maybe that's what I am like maybe that's what I'll show everyone and people will think like that's good and that's what I'll get hired for and like that feeling of desperation Mm -hmm. that comes with like putting yourself in a box and then that other feeling of well I dance because I have so many feelings and I'm such a full person and there's so much happening Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. I don't I want to dance different every day one day I'm going to do you know a pirouette and a on Batman and the next I'm gonna research crumping and it's mm. like how do you have a practice when you're so different you, you, you know you're a person you can't be in that tiny little box and like I think that's personally something in my practice I find one of the most difficult parts of training I find the most upsetting and stressful mm-hmm. and I don't know it just feels very like powerful hearing you talk about how it doesn't have to be one thing hearing a you know someone you look up to sort of just being like it doesn't need to be one it doesn't need to be one very small section like it is for big choreographers who've been doing it for years and years and years yeah I, I mean I think thank you so much for sharing that by the way um I think for me like what I'm really interested in also as well is like neuroscience <laughs> and I'm not going to start quoting things because I'm not particularly an expert it's just an interest but this neuroscience informs my curiosity around people's ways of being. Why do we do what we do? And one of the things I've come across is that this, this notion called self-configuration, which is basically you're a different person depending on the situation that you're in. And I find this so fascinating because when, you're, when I'm improvising, I'll put on some... Uh, Mariah Carey and I, you know I might move in a little bit more lyrical you know kind of YouTube's uh, Slay Queens of like 2008 and, and, and forward you know um, and then 
It will be forever my inspiration. <laughs> right. <laughs> YouTube is like, okay, I need something. Um, and then I get trapped in some like cat video stuff. But no, um, I'll put some Mariah Carey on, like, cool, this is my flow. And then I'll put some, let's say, Lil Uzi Vert on, right? And then immediately my movement vocabulary changes. And then I'll put some Aphex Twin on. And then again, I, you know, I go through that process and it changes. But all of those things are coming from me. So they are a part of me. They're an essence of me. So they're equally all as valid within that process. And I think within the process of going in, so earlier, I love doing a, a kind of wraparound. Anyone was talking about uh, encounters. Um, one of the things that was brought up in the queerness and disability talk was uh, Stuart, one of the panelists, was talking about uh, access needs uh, for disabled artists and how it's important to recognize that sometimes, you know, something that uh, them as as a uh, as a disabled person might be able to do on a monday they might not be able to do on a tuesday and they might be able to do more than monday and tuesday combined on the wednesday and then nothing on thursday and it's again like you're saying like going to the people of global majority meetings and listening and learning it's important for me to recognize these are universal truths they're not just, you know, it doesn't just apply to stewards. And so what you're talking about immediately makes me think of that conversation, that the, the statement that Stuart made, which was, it's okay to have different abilities, different levels of energy, different enthusiasm, different creativity, um, depending on the day, depending on how you feel, depending on how you eat, what you've eaten, how much sleep you've had, all of these things contribute to this ever-changing, ever-shifting process. And so sometimes, yesterday, I might have been full-on crumping in the studio, but come in on Tuesday, you know, and it's all ambient piano music. And all I want to do is just rock my pelvis while I'm laying on the floor for half of the time I thought I'd be in the studio in. And that's enough. That's all I can do. It's all a process of learning. And then in thinking about the neuroscience of it all, it's all about repetition. That's all it is. I was reading this book called The Power of Neuroplasticity. Um, and basically this guy is talking about the fact that you can literally become anything you want, period, at whatever age, granted, obviously like with kids and stuff, it's different, but it's not like you're too old to learn skateboarding. It's, it's not about that. It's about the feeling that you have towards the thing that you're doing. The more happier you have a feeling towards an activity, the more you're likely to keep it up and the more likely you are to explore it in a more innovative way. Um, and that feels like a really simple thing, but I didn't enjoy improvising as much as I do now. And during lockdown, all I had was improvisation, so I had to love it. And now, because I love it so much and I've had this positive attitude towards it, I've repeated it over and over and over and over again, which is another key part of kind of process. It's repetition. You can learn piano, but you just have to practice every day. You just have to practice often. You 
can learn how to speak and write Korean. You just have to practice every day. You can be anything that you want to be at all, as long as you kind of have a positive affiliation with that thing you want to become and you work on it. And that doesn't determine the value as long as it has some significant benefits to you as an individual. So within your process and within the curiosity that you have, I recognize that because I experienced this myself. The most wonderful thing that keeps me going is those little nuggets day by day that are changing. Sometimes the shower that I have before I go to the studio is the best thing I'll do all day, you know? And then sometimes being in the studio, the first, the warm up is the best thing I'll do all day. You know, it's like this ever changing, ever shifting thing, but it's recognizing that all of that is a learning process. It's thinking with the body, it's existing with the body, but also it's just self-configuration you are different based on the situation, based on so many microscopic things. It could be your mood. It could be a hormonal issue. It could be a social issue. It could be so many different things that just affect the way in which you present in the studio. But it's important to always recognize that it is within that you are valuable. Whatever you do, whatever you bring into space, is valuable. You do not have to leave Northern with the first, you know? It would be a great thing to be like, yeah, I have this achievement, I've done this. But the value is not determined, your value as a human being and as an artist is not determined by that. And so I think having that set of thinking towards your research and your practice and your curiosity is the thing that preserves it. So then fast forward 15 years now, this kind of crumping, for example, could become this little section that lasts 10 minutes in a piece you've made on a company in Malmo somewhere. And you're like, actually, I'm really interested in this kind of energetic, kind of uh, political activist perspective of the African-American social dance that is crumping. And I'd really like to use that. And so it doesn't also have to be like everything that you're researching and you're doing now, you're going to use next week, next tomorrow, or in your assessment. Most of the things that I've learned throughout my BA and my MA, something that was said to me by uh, my master's lecturer, Tony, was this might feel like a lot that you're taking on board, but these are things that will unfold over the next five years of your life. And it's about time. It's about patience with yourself as more, more important than anything, just the self. And I think that helps because the more you're like, it's okay, I'm on my journey, I'm doing my thing. It's a bit shit at the moment. Sorry for swearing. It's a bit rough at the moment, um, but I'm just going to persevere. And that's all you can do. And, that's, and if you're persevering, and you feel good about it, then really, 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 there's nothing to stop you getting your way. And that feels like a, a powerful way of um, recognizing self-preservation as a dance artist. Amazing. I feel like that's such a good place to stop as well. We can talk <laughs> yeah, about oh my God. <laughs> an hour and 15. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could carry on for another three hours, to be honest. Though. We'll have to do a part two and yeah. three and four and five. <laughs> and 
six, seven, eight. <laughs> a whole show. We'll, we'll just do a break off show. <laughs> BBC will hire us. Let's yeah, do it. No, but thank you. I, I feel like this has been such a powerful conversation. And especially for me and my practice, I don't know, it feels very like, um, I don't know, just warming to hear someone that isn't saying, you know, this is, you've got to do everything. It's like, sense of calm <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah I think it also it, it, it's so wonderful just being able to kind of get in I've, you know been through the rat race and then I was like mm-hmm. this is not sustainable I can't do this like on a daily weekly monthly basis um, and so you know also part of that is that like taking time away from dance to go and just work in a in a, in a, in a bar I enjoy bar work so much. I haven't done it since COVID, since lockdown, but I was really thriving in that environment because it was just something to take a break away from dance. Um, and then when I came back into dance, I loved it because I'd missed it. And I think if I kind of took a break and I didn't miss it, that would also be something to learn. But I recognized that actually through that process of going to do bar work and coming back, going to do bar work and coming back is like, actually I enjoyed the interval kind of broken up experiences of dance because it allows me to just be like okay I didn't get that audition let me take six months to recover from that audition process and that's okay <laughs> because else I thought yeah. and that is that is how long I need to recover from auditions <laughs> or a good meal or a good meal <laughs> or unfollow yeah. them on Instagram maybe both it's like I don't want to look at this anymore <laughs> I've had enough <laughs> I don't want to see. I don't want to know. Please dido white flag. <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a pleasure, honestly. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Flo. And I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. I'm going to go to the studio ooh, now. Play. Have fun. Um, I'm going yeah. to go outside. Thank you. And ooh, maybe look at some nature and create some scores. You've inspired me to go do out. Do it. And Sounds live my amazing. Life. So, yeah, I'm going to do it. I might have to go outside as well, take my dog on a walk. She's got a bit too oh, much energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds great. Well, enjoy the Southwest and Thank hopefully you. see on your, upon your return to Leeds. I will definitely be at your next classes. Do come along. <laughs> Thank you very much. See you Bye. soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you had a really good time. I'll see you next Tuesday. And again, you can check out more on the Instagram. Flow underscore WT underscore flow underscore. And until then, goodbye.